hates the word Bible. I hate it. I'm a passionate hater of the word Bible. I am. Because it just belittles the powerful message that's in this thing. It's n- the Bible is the biggest selling book of all time. That's what people think, isn't it? You go out there and you mention the Bible. What do people think? Biggest selling book of all time. It's actually 66 ancient historical documents that have been compiled together and put and bound wonderfully. I think it was about 400 AD when they, they, they Jerome, I think it was, first got all these ancient parchments together and said, let's bind them and so on. It's a wonderful thing for us because you came to church today with, with one book, not 66 rolled up parchments under your arms, getting angry at your wife. Where was that scroll of Isaiah? We need it today. He's going to have to walk out of there. But it's not a book. And that's uh, it's what we need to understand when we approach the pages of it. It's ancient historical documents of, 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 of the workings of God throughout humanity. And don't ever downplay and just read it like it's a book. It's, it's you know, eyewitness accounts. Some of these guys actually saw Jesus. If they were in a court of law today, it would be an eyewitness account, wouldn't it? This would be an eyewitness account of events that actually happened. And uh, I think we need to start to rethink about our faith. We need to start to go back to that place and, and recognize that the foundations of our faith are not a book. It's an event that happened. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, resurrected. If that, if that didn't happen, then this is actually a whole load of gobbledygook and a waste of time. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. The resurrection isn't dependent upon what's written here. What's written here is dependent upon the resurrection. The resurrection happened first. See, our faith is a really solid foundation. But anyway, because you know this as a Bible, I'm going to say if you've got a Bible there, one of these compilations, you turn with me really quickly to John 10.10. You don't have to because you know it. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. Three of my most unfavourite things. I don't like being stolen from. I don't want to be killed and I hate my things being destroyed. I watched the Tigers last night. They were destroyed. My faith was stolen that we're going to make the semis. I felt like a part of me was killed as I watched them get pounded into the ground by a team that's coming second last. But Jesus says this. He says, I've come that you might have... Life, and you might have it abundantly. Jesus is speaking to living, breathing people, so he's not talking about oxygen in your lungs and blood flowing through your veins, because that was already happening. These people he's speaking to already had all that stuff. He's talking about something else. He's talking about a different quality, a type of life. That's what he said, I came to give you something. You're living and breathing. In other words, he's saying to a bunch of people who are existing, right now you're existing, but I'm offering you life. And they're two different things. There's a plane called existence, and then there's life. And Jesus said, I came to drag you out of just me, human existence, and to give you life. Isn't that exciting? I came to give you a quality and a standard of life that you're not going to have or you're not going to find apart from me. I mean, people still look for it, don't they? They go down the path of, of, of addictions and, and, and they think that, that, that you, know, um, you know, sexual relationships will give that to them or the best looking guy or girl hanging off their arm or the best education will give them that or more money will give them that or a bigger car, a new house. New job, something will give me that high that I'm looking for, that thing that will elevate my life from where it is right now because I know that I don't want to be here, I want to be somewhere else. So I'm searching around for all these things to get me there, but they're all just empty promises and they don't seem to get me to that place. Jesus comes along. By the way, Jesus comes along to a society that's extremely religious too. 
So if you're sitting here thinking that religion will get you to that place, you're missing the whole point of the story. And you're missing the whole message of this man, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the backstory to this is a beautiful one. There's a man born blind. Jesus comes along. Jesus heals a man born blind. Matthew, uh, John chapter 9, go back. This, 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 this comment, this he, thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, I've come to give life, is a culmination of a, an entire event that starts with a man born blind. Jesus goes up, gives this man sight. This man is so excited and pumped about that. The religious leaders are going, tilt, tilt, hang on a second. Didn't this happen on a Sunday? This happened on the wrong day of the week. If you're going to do something good for people, make sure you do it on the right day of the week. You do the right thing on the wrong day of the week, the right thing becomes the wrong thing. And they did the wrong thing. Why? Because it wasn't because it was the wrong thing. It was the right thing. But it was the right thing done on the wrong day of the week, so it became the wrong thing. Are you following me? And so Jesus gets in trouble. The religious leaders drag him into a room. They sit him down in a little chair. They get a lamp. They shine it in his face just like in those movies. They bang on the desk and say, tell us what really happened. And you know what he says? He says, I don't really know what to say to you. All I know is this. I was blind and now I can see. Oh, preach it, Owen. I was blind. Now I can see that's it. That's his message. Oh, my goodness. But here are the religious leaders. These guys know everything there is to know about everything. They know the Old Testament. Most of these guys got the first five books of the Old Testament committed to memory. They did. A lot of the Pharisees and that, they had the first five books, the Torah, committed to memory. And a lot of the minor prophets and stuff as well. That's why when Jesus was born, uh, it was Herod called some of the religious leaders and said, can you tell us? We hear about this king. And they said, yeah, we can tell you exactly where he's going to be born. I think it's in the prophet Micah. He's going to be born in, in Bethlehem. Of they knew. They didn't go, hang on, I'll get my strongest concordance. And I'll look it up for you. I'll go to a podcast on the birth of the Messiah. They knew it. They studied this stuff. You know? And they went straight there. They knew this stuff. So here's this group of religious people that know all the stuff in the book. And here's this guy who goes, well, here's my theology. I was blind. And now I can see. Build a Bible college on that one. Build a movement on that. And they just, they can't deal with it. So they call his parents in. The parents come on in. The parents sit down. And they do the same thing to the parents. You tell us, he wasn't really born blind, was he? And the Bible says that the parents were actually afraid of being kicked out of the church. So his parents said, hey, he's 18. You ask him. He's of age. I don't want to get involved in this. You know? You ask him. So they go back to him and tell us the truth. Come on, he says, you know what? Here's the deal. I was blind, now I can see. And because I was blind, I didn't even see it coming. And bang! Poof! All of a sudden I can see. How awesome is that? You know what they do? Instead of being excited and going, well, here's the thing. You might have done the right thing the wrong day of the week. We think it's the wrong thing, but because the result and the fruit is that a guy can see and he's all excited about God, then that wrong thing done... Uh, right thing done on the wrong day of the week probably should become the right thing. Maybe we got the wrong day of the week wrong. Maybe there is no wrong day of the week. Maybe the right thing to be done any day of the week becomes the right thing. Instead of doing that, they just held strong to their religious conviction and traditions and said, nope, God wouldn't do that. <laughs> because God's stuck in our calendar, isn't he? Of course, you know. It's true. A lot of us, we've got this image of God. We've got a God that's made in the image of man, not the other way around. We create gods in our own images, and mankind has done it for centuries. I'd like to know who the person was who thought God looked like a cow. What did he look like? I don't know. Let's make a cow in our own image. So they kicked this dude out of the church. They actually kicked him out. Boof, you're gone. They kicked him out, you see. 
And the Bible actually says, it's beautiful when you read between the lines some of these eyewitness accounts. These are eyewitness accounts and stories that were passed on, maybe only one person from the events. And John says that when Jesus found him, in other words, Jesus heard about this, he went looking for the guy. Isn't that awesome? He went looking for this guy. It wasn't a chance meeting. He didn't just walk past and go, oh, I've seen you before, haven't I? No, no, Jesus had his ear to the ground and he heard what was going on. When he heard about that, he said, boys, we're going, let's go find this dude. So they got the GPS out. No, they didn't, because there was no GPSs then. And if they were, I wouldn't trust them anyway. Still don't trust my GPS. So they go and he finds this guy. And here's what, here's what, what Jesus does. He begins to talk to this guy about what happened. And the Bible says a crowd gathers. So as the crowd gathers, Jesus begins to keep in that same vein and then he starts addressing not just this man but now he addresses the crowd. And here's what he says. This is where it leads to John 10.10. 10. He eventually goes, here's the deal. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. In other words, the excitement that this young man is feeling. Can you imagine being born blind and suddenly seeing? And, he, and he's overage. So, so this has gone on for a minimum of 18 years. You know? This is long, big thing. He was born blind. Can you imagine the excitement that you would feel in your heart? Do you think you would give a flip what day of the week it was done on? Do you think you would give a flip who the person was or, you know, what anybody else thought about him? Or, I mean, this guy is pumped. He's excited. And then the religious leaders want to put a pin in that and burst that bubble by saying, wrong day of the week, you're out of church, bang, we don't like this stuff. And Jesus speaks to that aspect of religion. And he says, basically, religion comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came to give you life and a quality of life and a type of life. I came to put the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. I came to give you peace, but not a peace like the world, you know, the one that's sort of stapled to the thing. If I have enough money, I'll have peace. So, so it's sta- my peace is stapled to the cash. I mean, the cash is gone, the peace goes with it. Or stapled to the relationship, or stapled to the job, or stapled to whatever, you know? Stapled to the, your football team winning a game. And then they don't, and your peace just disappears. Because the Tigers didn't win. And here I am this morning, moping around, going, my goodness, where's that peace gone? So I'm not doing that. Because Jesus said, I came to give you a peace. Peace, I live with you. Peace, I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I give you a kind of peace that stays with you. I give you a peace that no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what you're going through, the peace that I give you is down on the inside, and that peace is this, that you're reconnected with the creator of the universe. And that peace is not going to go. It doesn't flop about. I'm not giving, taking, giving, taking. Not a yo-yo type of peace, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's not like that. He says, I want to give you a peace so deeply seated on the inside of you that nothing's going to rock you. It doesn't mean life's going to always be easy. It doesn't mean you're going to love everything that happens. But it means you won't be budged from that anchor. You won't be constantly looking for something else to fill that because there'll be, a, there'll be something inside of you, that void been filled. That chasing, that running, that looking for. This is what Jesus is speaking into. He says, religion steals, kills and destroys. He said, but I came to give you life and to give it to you in abundance. And that word life uh, in, the, in the Greek, it's a Greek word zoe. And this is what it means. This is the translation of what zoe is. And you often ref- hear it referred to in books and preaching and that people call it the God kind of life. You'll hear it referred to as that. The God kind of life. Well, that's wonderful, but what is the God kind of life? I, mean, doesn't, I don't know. So let me expand on what the God kind of life is. And here's, here's what Zoe means in the Greek. It means this. It means the state of one who is possessed of vitality and is animate. 
possessed of vitality. I don't think it's talking about a personality type. It's talking about that vitality of life on the inside, that zest for life, that excitement, that enthusiasm for life. Enthusiasm actually means, entheos means in God. So anyone who's in God should have an element of enthusiasm about them. I don't know how you can be in God but be unenthusiastic about life. The two are somewhat incompatible. It doesn't mean you're not saved if you're not enthusiastic about life, but it means maybe you're not walking in everything that God has for you. Maybe there's somewhere else to walk. Maybe there's something else there. It means the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate, life real and genuine. It's not fake. It's not masks. You know, I, I, I used to preach, I probably still would, but I just, I'm not right now because I'm preaching on something else. But if I wasn't, I was preaching on this, you'd hear me say this. The church can sometimes be Sunday morning's the best dress-up party you've ever seen. It's the greatest masquerade party you've ever seen. Anyone been a part of churches and and we go in and we know we have to put the mask on at the door because if I don't put the mask on, everyone sees who I really am. What will they really think of me? But yet, yet the God kind of life is a life that's genuine. It's not fake. It's genuine. It's real. It's transparent. And here's the thing. I'll be transparent and real. I'm human. Cut me and I bleed. Abuse me and I might get hurt feelings and so on. And if you can't handle that, then you've got the problem. You've got the problem, not me. Just if, if, if people come in and you want to put masks on because we feel like we've got to look a certain way and then we get angry at somebody who doesn't have a mask on. <laughs> hey, take the masks off. The Zoe kind of life, the God kind of life is the real kind of life. It's not fake, it's absolute genuine. It's being authentic to who we are, warts and all. The good, the bad, the ugly. We're enthusiastic about the good, the bad, mm-hmm, the ugly, yeah. Hey? That's what the Zoe kind of life is. It's real and genuine. It's a life active and vigorous, devoted to God and blessed. That sounds like a great life. So here it is. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come to give you, um, I come to give you a life that is full of vitality. I come to give you a life that's real and genuine, a life that's active and vigorous, a life that is completely devoted to God and blessed. That's what I come to give you. That's the kind of life that God comes to give. But here's the story. Here's the bottom line. I'm going to spend a few weeks on this. I'm just sort of throwing out the idea this morning to you. Float some thoughts. Lay a bit of foundation. How many of you have been somewhere and then found out it wasn't what you thought it was going to be? Let me tell you a little story. Just this week, we just got back. Me and my wife went down to see Hugh Jackman. Um, at the Hunter at, at uh, Sydney and at, at the Olympic Park thing there in Sydney, Kivas Arena. And I made sure I went up to Hugh and I said, Hugh, no, no, this is the greatest show. I didn't really, but I, I thought, wouldn't that be funny to go, no, Hugh, this is the greatest show, but I didn't get close enough to do that. So anyway, we, we drive down there and I jump on booking.com a couple of days before and I find this place. It's only 800 metres from the, the place where the concert is. So I said to Jackie, look, we'll go down and we'll stay there. Luxurious one-bedroom apartment with a big picture of a window and you look out the window... <laughs> and you look out the window and you see the lights of the city. It's just spectacular. And here I am thinking, nailed it, boom, Yeah! Me and my bride, one bedroom, luxurious apartment, no children. And so we drive all day. We leave early morning. We get there. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. 
And when, you, when I booked it, it said no paying online. It's cash only, you see. Now, yeah, I, mean, I thought, eh, anyway, I don't care. All I'm thinking about is me and my bride, luxurious one-bedroom apartment, no children, boom. And so, and so we get there, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Cover your ears, Chloe. And so we get there, and of course I'm waiting at the, this apartment, this big tower. And I'm looking at this thing going, oh, that must be it there. Because it didn't have, it just had an address, one brush box avenue, Sydney Olympic Park. So I'm standing there and I ring up this number and this guy goes, oh, yeah, look, I'll be down in five minutes. Give me five minutes, I'll come down, I'll let you in the room. So no worries. So we're standing there waiting and five minutes gets closer to ten. I'm looking around and I see a plaque on the thing. And I'm looking at the plaque and I'm reading the plaque and I'm going, Opal Tower. Gee, that sounds familiar. Gee, that sounds really familiar. Then I look across to the right, and here's a little construction set up there, and I look up, and there's workers and everything. I'm going, why does that name ring a bell? I said, Jackie, can you get on your phone and Google for me, Opal Tower? I think this is that apartment that's falling down, and everybody's leaving. <laughs> and you know what? The guy comes downstairs. He goes, oh, are you ready to go? And I go, hang on a second. I said, mate, this is Opal Tower. He goes, yeah, it is. I said, is this the one that is falling down that everybody's leaving? And he talked around. He wouldn't answer the question. I ended up having to get a bit firm. Go, mate, I just want a yes or no to the next question. Is this the Opal Tower that is in the news, that is falling down, that people have been leaving? Yes, no. Well, yes. <laughs> Do you want to come upstairs and have a look anyway? And we did. Just so I could say, I've stood in the Opal Tower. I'm standing on the 27th floor. I'm standing still. And while I'm standing, I'm kidding you not, I've been on the 27th floor of buildings before, never a building like this, I could feel it. Like this. <laughs> and we just said, there's no way I'm going to relax up here. This ain't happening, you know. So anyway, it was really funny. I said no, and the guy was so, oh, look, if you want out of the booking, there'll be no consequences. Please, please feel free to go, go, go. I wasn't even out the door, and he'd already contacted booking.com and cancelled. I think, I'm pretty sure that they don't know it's Opal Tower, so I might have to let them know. But here's the thing, we got there expecting one thing, and it wasn't that thing. And you know what? I reckon that can be the case for a lot of people when they come to faith in Jesus. Don't you? I think we can come to faith expecting it to be something that maybe it's been advertised as. When I was living in India years ago, there was this guy called Zebulun. His name was Zebulun. He was an African guy that came across, was, 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 was trying to start a church thing in, in central India. Zebulun. I remember his name because Zebulun's a cool name. It's cool, isn't it? Zebulun. You'll take that. I'm going to start calling you Zebulun. I announce you Zebulun. <laughs> hey, Saul can become Paul. Daniel can become Zebulun. From now on, he's Zebulun. So, so anyway, Zebulun used to get up, and here's what he would say. We'd go into the slum areas of India, and we would do uh, preaching and things like that, and we would get up, and we would share and do dramas and stuff, and he would uh, translate and that. And, and, uh, sorry, he, he took us in there. And then he would get up, because he couldn't speak Hindi, so he had the same translator too. When we would finish, he would stand up, and he, this would be his gospel message. Are you sick? Come to Jesus. He will definitely heal you. Are you hungry? Do you have no job? Come to Jesus. He will give you a job. And he would just basically say every single thing that a person 
in poverty in a slum would prioritise their need for their family. He would just throw it out and guarantee them, come to Jesus, you'll have all this. Now, I'm not saying that God can't give us jobs. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't heal. I know he does. I believe 100% he does. He does miraculous things. I know all that. I'm not saying anything he said was wrong. What I'm saying was he's guaranteed to those people that this would definitely happen if you came to Jesus. In today's lingo, we would call that probably potentially false advertising. And how many people get a false advertisement when it comes to faith because we try to lure them in with things that probably, I'm not saying in and of themselves they're wrong. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying how many of you know that when you came to Jesus, all of your problems didn't stop? Anyone here, all your problems stopped? I can tell you right now, not all of my problems stopped. When I came to Jesus, I didn't become healthy, wealthy and wise. Just because I came to Jesus, all of a sudden, I can remember saying on that roundabout, if you're there, God, would you come into my life? And at that moment, I came up with a formula for calculus. It just popped into my head. It was there. I knew straight away how to fix this country and save our economy. It just was there, you know? My body, I looked down at my pecs and went, my goodness, where'd they come from? They were huge. They were massive. I was a beast. It just happened. All I did was said a prayer and my body was like, wow, would you look at this? And of course, I stood there and did. Yeah. Because that's the kind of guy I am. Everything in life didn't just instantly transform when I came to faith. God doesn't do everything for you. He doesn't do everything for you. I wish he did. It would make my life a lot easier. <laughs> Because I think I get in the way of him quite a bit. God doesn't do anything for me. Here's the thing. Life is God's gift, but it's our choice. Life is God's gift, but it's our choice. I've got an uncle, Uncle Bill. I might have shared with some of you over the years with my Uncle Bill. He's an eclectic sort of a dude, you know. Nice guy. He loves me. So he must be a good guy. And um, so Uncle Bill, I remember one year when I was a kid, we all went out west New South Wales for Christmas. And we met out a little town called Baradine out near Coonabarabra. And we met out there. My nan and pop had a property there. Christmas time comes, everyone gets their presents. And Uncle Bill, when it's time for everyone to leave, Uncle Bill gets his gifts. A couple of days, I think it was a day after Christmas, puts them in the boot of his car. He still hasn't unwrapped them. He didn't unwrap them, just put them in the boot of his car. A year later, we met back there for Christmas. I think it was Christmas again or it was something else. But we met back there about a year later. And I remember when Uncle Bill pulls up, he had this uh, yellow Corona. He used to call it the yellow canary. I still remember it. And I go downstairs because Yellow Canary pulls up, and there's Uncle Bill. And he pops the boot of his car to get his bags out. And guess what? The gifts are still sitting in the car, and they're still unwrapped. They're still unwrapped. He was given these gifts, but he had to play a part in the process if he wanted to enjoy them. You can be given a gift, but you've got to play a part in the process if you're going to enjoy that gift and get the most out of that gift. Life is a gift to us from God But we play a part if we want to enjoy that gift. There's a part that we play in that process. And that part is very simple. When I I say it to you, you're going to go, oh, duh. It's very, very simple, yet we don't think about it. And it's also incredibly profound. And this is what I want to say. And like I said, I'm going to build on this over the next few weeks. But Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. See, the entrance into the God kind of life, the entrance into that life that God wants to give us, that Jesus talked to us about, The entrance into that life is through the doorway of choices. It's through a doorway of choices. If we go and look at what Moses said 
to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Here's what he said. He said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Okay? I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He's basically summarizing uh, a whole bunch of chapters in Deuteronomy up to this point. He's just summarizing it. Go back and you read uh, 28, 29, so on. You see blessings, all these blessings, all these cursings. Uh, uh, you do, you make this choice, this is a consequence, basically. You make these choices, these are the consequences. Basically, it's consequences for choices made. That's what he's talking about. He goes, I've set before you life and death, blessing, cursing. Therefore, choose life. I feel like, um, uh, what's his name? Choose life. Wham? What was that dude's name? George Michael. Choose life shirts, anyone in that era? Choose life? Yes, I see one nodding up the back there. Not going to be loud about it, you don't want anyone else to know, but I saw it. (laughs) Nodding your head there. Choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Here's the thing, Daniel, come up here for a second. Zebulun, sorry, Zebulun. Okay, Zebulun, Zebulun, I've got a a thing for you, right? I've got these two uh, things here. Now, don't touch, don't touch, just just, over there. I want you to just think about this, right? Okay, I've got these two bowls here, and under these bowls... Uh, some things, some things, right? Now, I'm just going to give you a little bit of, 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 um, of uh, uh, sort of information about them, but, but right now, which one are you going to choose? What do you want to choose? Which one? You can't find a friend either. Which one are you going to choose? Which one are you going to choose? Okay, we'll start going over there then. No, no, stop, stop. Go back, go back. Okay, so you like the round edge of that one. That's fair enough. Okay, now, what if I was to say to you that, that um, this one is uh, it's like 99% potentially, um, you know, good stuff in that. This one's 100% good stuff in it. Um, okay. Which one would you, would you choose? Okay. okay, okay, great. So what if I was to say to you, okay, cut through it all. There's actually a black snake under that one. And this one has a $100,000 check. And the keys to the house just up the top of the hill here. Okay, you're going to take this one, right? Now, was that a challenge? Was it difficult to make that decision? I made it pretty easy. How did I make it pretty easy for you? I pretty much gave you the answers, right? Isn't that amazing? If, if I gave him the answers and he made the right choice. But here's the fascinating thing. Moses is talking to a nation called Israel, a bunch of people that we know. And what does Moses do? See, Israel had one thing that every single student right now trying to go through their trial exams, Israel had one thing that you would give an arm and a leg for, and that's this. Israel had the answer. Choose life. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Hey, I'm going to map out all these things. If you do that, here's all these curses. Here's these things. Live this way. Here's all these blessings. Blessing curse. I'll let it before you. I'm going to give you a bit of a hint. Choose life. Now, what are you going to choose? Choose life. It's up to you. You can pick whatever you want, but choose life. But you can take whatever. It's your choice. It's your decision. It's your life. It's a gift of you. But choose life. And what did they do? They still picked the wrong one. They still went and messed it up and continued to create other gods and continued to try to do things in their own strength and continued to try to make their own path and make their own way. Yet they had the answer right there in front of them. Here's what I love about this, is it shows me that just because I'm a believer, Israel were followers of God. Amen, were they? Israel were the people God had selected, they were following God. Yet it was not a given that they were going to have life, just because they were following God. They had to make some choices. They had to make some decisions. If they were going to walk in everything God had for them, and this is the thing, God has a life for you. 
God has plans and purposes. God has things that he wants to outwork in the world. God has blessings for us. God has put seeds inside of us, seeds of intelligence and seeds of business and seeds of brilliance and seeds of of sport and seeds of all kinds of things. God's put stuff in there inside of us. But just because we came to faith, he's not going to guarantee that we walk in everything God has for us. We have to make choices. Amen? We have to make choices in life. Choices are the doorways through which we walk into the kind of life that God wants us to have. Understand this. I'm saved by grace, but I'm transformed and changed through the choices I make. Godly, right choices. That's how I grow. That's how I'm transformed, and that's how I become the person that I'm meant to become. Here's the problem with most of us. We make this one big decision. That decision is this, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then I think I've made that decision that's naturally going to happen. No, it's not. You know what? I wake up every day and I have to make a decision today. I'm going to follow Jesus. And every time I'm confronted with a situation, I've got to stop in that situation and go, right, my response to this, in, in my response, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. In my relationship with you, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. In my dealings with this, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. In my business enterprises, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. In my educational pursuits, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. Every day, I've got to consistently continue to make choices to follow after Jesus. Just because I've made one decision to follow after God doesn't guarantee that I'll become the person I'm meant to be, land in the space I'm meant to land in and achieve everything I'm meant to achieve. I have to realize that I hold the balance of power with the choices that I get to make. Life is a gift but it's your choice whether you want to run into that. Biggest problem for most of us is this. We make choices based on convenience, not based on conviction. If I'm following Jesus, then I've got certain convictions about life. I'm convinced that any man that can, can pull off his own death, burial, resurrection, tell everyone it's going to happen before it happens, if he is good enough to do that, then you should believe everything else that man had to say and you should be following everything else that that man had to say as well. Most of us live by convenience. We don't live out of conviction. We think that once we come to faith that everything will pan out. Coming to faith is the beginning. It's the beginning of walking into a life that is super abundant. It's the beginning of walking into a life of vitality, a life of energy, a life of exuberance. It's the beginning. It's the doorway of walking into that life. But God doesn't make every choice. It's a stupid analogy that whole, you know, Jesus put let Jesus in the driver's seat. I know what we mean by that, but it's absolutely stupid analogy. Jesus never gets in the driver's seat of your life. He sits next to you like a GPS and he guides and directs you. You make the choice whether you're going to turn left or go straight. You make the choice. That's why we can't sit there and get angry and blame God. We make the choices that we make. And you know what? Here's the beautiful thing about a GPS, and I do it all the time. I miss a corner. It just recalibrates. It doesn't get mad at me. GPS doesn't go, you idiot! I said, turn left on Baker Street. That's it. You're shot. No more instructions for you. You're going nowhere. You're a loser. Look at that. You're getting further and further away. You can't be told nothing. I've never had a GPS do that to me in my life, and I've missed a lot of corners. You know what my GPS does? Turn left on Baker Street. I go past, I hear, bing! And I go, oh, blown it, am I? You know what the GPS says? In two kilometres, turn right on Mary Street. It just goes, okay, it's okay. It's like, the, it's like the GPS goes, you're human, you're an idiot, you're going to make mistakes, 
I know it. I'll just roll with it. Been doing this long enough now. You're not the first one, so we'll just keep on going, shall we? And it recalibrates and I move on to the next decision. You know, some researchers suggest that we make about 35,000 choices a day. Do you know that? Researchers have determined that we make about 35,000 choices a day. You've probably made thousands already. The minute I picked up the mic, you made a a choice to either listen or not listen to me. And then while I'm talking, you made a choice to either convince yourself to know you should be listening because this is right or a choice to say to yourself, stop listening, it's full of rubbish. Or you're making a choice to go, I know somebody else that needs to hear this message. I can't wait to tell them. (laughs) We all do it. Come on, let's be honest. Sorry, I put my mask back on. We make about 35,000 decisions per day. That's the estimate. I've got so much more here I could rattle on with, but I'm not going to. I'll finish up with this, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Wise, foolish builder. I want to be the wise builder. I don't know about you. Anyone got any ambitions of being the foolish builder? Got to ask. Some of the responses I've got from you today, I'm going to I'll just ask anyway. <laughs> Why is a foolish builder? Jesus says this story. He says this. He says, <coughs> there's two groups of people. And read the parable for yourself, Matthew 7. They all heard the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. He says, the wise builder heard the words of Jesus. So did the foolish builder heard the words of Jesus. They both heard it. They both built a house. You read it for yourself. The wise builder built a house. The foolish builder built a house. They both came under the same intense pressure. You read it for yourself, Matthew 7. The wise builder's house had storms beat vehemently against it and the foolish builder's house had storms beat vehemently against it. Somehow the wise builder's house stood and the foolish builder's house collapsed in a crumple. must have been really bad because he says, not only did it fall, he says, and great was its fall. Not just a fall. I mean, it's one thing to fall, but to have a great fall... It's a big one. You know the only difference between the two of them, Jesus? You can read it for yourself, Matthew 7. The only difference was this. One of them heard the words of Jesus, made a choice to go, okay, I'm going to go and do that. It's a choice. It's a decision. I'm going to go and do that. The other one heard the words of Jesus and made a choice. Knowing the right things enough. Don't need to do it. I know it. You know, we live in a church culture, church age these days where, and I can say this because I stand in front of people and talk, there's this pressure that you feel to get people to feel something because I want them to feel like coming to church next week. So we try to get people to feel something. Feel excited. You know, feel like laughing. Feel. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. But I read this parable and I go, you know what, Jesus, I don't think that's what it's all about. I don't think Jesus cared when he spoke about getting people to feel something. What he cared about was getting people to do something, to make a decision, a choice, to do something. Because you can make the decision that knowing something is enough. That's your choice. And, and, and don't kid yourself, it's a choice. It's a choice you made. Or you can make the choice that's not enough to know something. I'm choosing to do something. 
with this life. I'm choosing to live this life practically and to do the things that Jesus said. And in doing so, I begin to step into that God kind of life that he has for me. I wonder how many people sitting in churches, we know the Bible back to front, we hear all the stuff, but if we're not doing it, we're still sitting there frustrated, depressed, angry, wondering why is this not working. Here's the thing, it works when you do it, not when you know it. I think it was G.K. Chesterton. It was an old um, uh, British journalist who got saved years ago, and I think it was him. He said, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. He said the Christian life has been found hard and not tried. Too hard, therefore, not tried. It's great to get all this information, know stuff, but if we don't do anything with it. And that's the power of choice. What are you going to do with this stuff that you know? You're going to be a wise builder, you're going to be a foolish builder. Because God has great things for us. I'm not going to become the person I'm meant to become because I got saved. I won't do the things I'm meant to do because I got saved. I won't have the life I'm meant to have because I got saved. It's an entry point. It's a doorway. I'll become the person that I'm meant to be by making right, godly choices to do the things that I know are right. I'll get to the place I'm meant to be by doing the right things, by making choices. Please don't sit there with the fatalistic, that great theologian Doris Day who said, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. She is not a theologian. That is not doctrinal. Whatever will be, will be. If that's your mentality, then, then enjoy your fatalistic journey through this existence. When you stand before God, you can look at him and then you can decide for yourself whether you feel like you went hard and you achieved everything and became the person you're meant to be, broke through those things you need to break through, had the transformation, the change in your life that you could have had. I don't know about you, but I want to build my life on a rock. I want to be a wise builder. And when the storms come, I want my life to stand. I want it to count, and I want to get before God and know that, God, you saved me, but I didn't just sit back and go, well, everything else is up to you now. No, no, God, with that salvation in mind, with those parameters in my life, I made good, godly choices and became all I was meant to be and did what I was meant to do and achieved what I was meant to do, had the relationships that I was meant to have and everything like that because, God, I cooperated with you and I made the choices. Choose this day. Life, death, blessing, curse. What did he say? You're saved, you're going to heaven. Yes, God loves you. Yes, you're the apple of his eye. Yes, all that stuff is beautiful. Yes, 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 yes. Amen, amen, amen. But you've got to make some choices. Amen. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the chance to come together here. Lord, we love you. God, I pray as we leave this place today, Father, that... uh, God, we wouldn't just walk out and go to lunch and forget. But God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I believe you've been speaking to people. And Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here and, Father, we would make a choice to do something with whatever it is that you spoke to us in this place today. Make the choice to actually do something, God, and begin to step into that God space of life. And God, I believe with all my heart that when we do that, that we begin to experience the God type of life. We begin to experience that that quality, that abundance, that type of life that you came to offer us, Father. And Lord, I pray as we leave this place today too, in the next seven days, I pray every person in this room that believes in Jesus Christ, that believes in his death, burial, resurrection has been transformed by that moment in history. Father, every person in this room, I pray in the next seven days, give every single one of us the opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God, somebody that doesn't yet understand or know that, Father. And we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Thanks for joining us this morning. Please don't feel like you've got to run away. There's more morning tea there. There's tea and coffee and stuff like that. Um, 
But uh, if we don't see you at the prayer night on Thursday, we'll see you somewhere around town. It's not a big town. Uh, Bump into you somewhere or uh, we'll catch you back here next Sunday morning. Bless you guys.